I want to take you back to when I was around about 20 years old. And I was at that point of my life of trying to work out what was life really all about. Um, I was, it was a time of life when I was trying to fill my life with pretty much anything and everything um, except for God. And one night, to cut a, a very long story short, I got to that point after quite a heavy drinking session of saying to God, if you're up there, then I want you to come into my life. I want you to take the steering wheel of my life and start to drive and lead me forwards through what this is all about. And by the end of that week, I had started out my life as a new Christian. And so that first Sunday, I thought, well, you know, if this is what I'm about now, maybe I should go to a church. So I thought I would try a church. I went to a local uh, parish church in Edinburgh. Um, I thought I better, you know, be go and sing and worship to this God that I'm supposedly now following. And I walked into this large old building, um, and there was only about 10 people there and a dog. And um, there were some numbers on the side of the wall, which I think were the hymn numbers that we were supposed to be singing. And this organ started up from somewhere. I still don't know from where. And, uh, but nobody really sang. So I was a newcomer there. So I was trying my best to sing these hymns. The dog was trying his best to, to kind of join in. But nobody else seemed to be kind of with it. And um, I, kind of, I kind of looked at the dog. He looked at me. And we're thinking, is this really what it's all about? Surely there's, there's something more to it. Anyway, we, we looked at each other again and decided we were just going to slink out the back and we we're going to try somewhere else. Anyway, I was telling this story to someone just the other week and they said, I've got the update for you. So I was intrigued. I said, well, how could you possibly have an update? And he said, well, he said a friend of mine was preaching and he was preaching the gospel. He was explaining the gospel message and he encouraged people to respond at the end and come forward. And he said, the first one forward was a dog. So it ended up well for the dog as well. Fortunately, I did find a church uh, where people were enthusiastic and wanted to celebrate uh, and sing um, as well. But I remember thinking one day, thinking, what, was, what would my filing cabinet look like? You know, what would, what would be in there of my life? Um, and if God was to pull out the file on labeled worship, what would that look like? Would it, be, would it be a thin file? Would it be a thick file? And as I was reflecting on it, I suddenly realized, actually, there isn't a file in there with worship on it. The whole drawer is labeled worship. That worship is the whole of our lives, every single part. The file on our relationships, on our money, on our attitudes, on our hobbies, on our leisure time, uh, on our words as well, uh, on the things we do in our work. Every single aspect is actually what constitutes worship in our lives, everything in our lives. Whether we worship the right things, whether we worship the wrong things, um, Every single bit of it. Do we do it in a way that it honors God or do we not? Romans 12 says this. It says that um, in view of God's mercy, uh, offer your bodies, the whole of yourselves, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And... Um, so yeah, so that's true for each one of us. 1 Chronicles 16 verse 8, as praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. 
And so Israel were to, were to give thanks, they were to praise, they were to sing, but it was to be a witness to the nations around them so that the countries around would understand who this God was, that there'd be a testimony to his power and to his glory. And so an obedient Israel was God's exhibit A, if you like. He was God's evidence to the world around that he was what he was like in his character and that there was a reality to him. And how they lived was to reflect that. Look at my people and you'll see something of who this God is as people looked on. And so they were to be a people who were a kind of whole draw people. They were to be devoted in every bit of their lives uh, towards God, dedicated to him. And so for us, that is the same, that every part of our draw, every file, every section of our lives is to be devoted to him. Now, the reality is we know there's a whole lot of bad stuff in our draw. There's a whole lot of shameful stuff in our draw. And yet we read that God bags that stuff up, okay? He, he tramples it underfoot. He, he throws it away. He seals it up. As far as the east is from the west, he removes it from the whole thing. Because of what Jesus has done, he's forgiven that, and he starts to transform that. And so now we're beginning to fill up that drawer with the good stuff, with the God stuff, and it becomes a story of God's grace in our lives and the glory of God as he's moved uh, in our lives as well. Verse 15, um, as I said, he remembers his covenant forever. He remembers his covenant forever. And for Israel, that was the old covenant. That was the Old Testament, the old agreements. Um, but for us, it's the new covenant. It's the New Testament. It's the new agreement that in what Jesus has done, this forgiveness that is possible to us uh, through the blood of Jesus and through his sacrifice. And so that then, out of gratitude for that, affects the whole of how we live um, our lives. And as we look at this passage, this is quite a lengthy passage, and you'll understand why in a second, is uh, verses 8 to 22 is basically the first third of Psalm 105. And it's a psalm all about God's covenant. And that, that whole passage is about God of the covenant, the fact that he makes promises to his people. And he is reminding them that he is that God, that he will never forsake them, he will never leave them, and that he is working at his purposes in their history and in their time, and that he will keep his promises. It was probably written after they had just returned from Babylon. So they'd been in exile for 70 years or whatever, and uh, they now see God's hand as they come back to Jerusalem. They come back uh, to Israel and start their history kind of afresh. The next section um, that John read to us from 1 Chronicles 16 is virtually identical to Psalm 96. They borrowed Psalm 96 into this kind of new psalm of worship. Um, and I'm going to focus particularly on that this morning with four worshipful commands that are in there. And uh, just for completion, the last three verses are taken from Psalm 106, the very first and the last two verses just top and tailing uh, in there as well. So first of all, I'm going to focus on that middle section. So you can read it in Psalm 96, or you can read it from 1 Chronicles 16. makes a uh, little difference. And the first kind of command we have is to sing, to sing to the Lord all the earth. And I was thinking about it this morning with the word of hands guys here, and I was thinking it's so appropriate that all you have to do is switch the N and the G, and you turn sing into sign. And uh, so it's totally relevant to these guys as well. To sing to the Lord all the earth, to proclaim his salvation day after day. Verse 24 in 1 Chronicles 16 talks about the marvelous deeds. So the reason we're to sing is because it is good news. Okay, the, the things that have happened are marvelous things. Um, in fact, in Psalm 96, it says, sing to the Lord a new song. 
Sing to the Lord a new song. And apparently singing, regardless of faith, is good for you. Um, it's uh, very beneficial. It's good for you physically. It's good for you emotionally. It's good for you socially. Um, I was reading about this. It strengthens your immune system. Um, it uh, gives your lungs a good workout, um, particularly if you go for it. Um, it improves your posture. It helps you sleep. Probably not if you're sharing a room with someone at the same time, but maybe a lullaby, that's what it would work. It's a natural antidepressant. It lowers your stress levels. And if you've ever been to a football match, then you'll know the truth of that. Uh, it improves mental alertness. It boosts your confidence and it gives you other ways to communicate and broadens your skills in that. But with faith, it also brings glory to God. And so to sing or to sign a new song is something that comes from the heart. And each of us has got a new heart that we, we bring to God. It may be a new experience of God's blessing in your life. You know, it may be some part of the Bible that is just a new truth that you've discovered, that a new realization that causes you to sing a new song. It may be a new beginning after a crisis or a new hope, a fresh sense of hope uh, when things have been difficult or a new open door for service. Uh, or a new opportunity uh, in your life. All of these things can cause us to sing a new song for something fresh to rise in worship uh, to God. I want to introduce Andrew. Andrew's been on our uh, Alpha course recently. Can we just welcome Andrew? He's come over from, uh, from the Mosey <laughs> gathering just to come and be part of this this morning. Thanks, John. Come on up. Oh, he's trying to do this because this, this is a, I'll tell you later. Okay. You got your selfie on. He's videoing himself here. Great. Well, so tell us, first of all, a little bit about yourself, Andrew. Um, yes. Uh, well, maybe some of the challenges <laughs> in life going back a few months. Yes. Uh, probably like a lot of people, you know, we all have our own worries, in particular, our struggles with depression. Felt down, um, gambling addictions, and uh, more of a case of go back a few months, suicidal thoughts, and just not wanting to particularly be here at times. So, what happened? What? How did you even begin to connect with uh, some hope? Um, I had a chance meeting with uh, Naomi Woodruff. Uh, bumped into her. Um, I put it down as a guardian angel as such come into my life uh, she just showed me some leaflets pointed me in the right direction and invited me to the Christmas service at Queensbridge and the okay. rest is history from there so you came to the, the service at Queensbridge how did you find that how did you find the Christmas service it, it was a nice experience I think it was a happy and obviously Christmas happy joyful occasion I think everyone looking forward to their presents turkey yeah. A few days later, so I think there was a time to start and go. That's probably the, as good as time as any. And so, what what else has helped you on your journey since then? Um, just getting involved with things like so. I've done the Alpha course, which uh, being new to the faith has opened up and explained to me more about different parts of the Bible, the church, and you know, just speaking to different people in their sharing experiences. Yeah, uh, yeah. so that was a helpful kind of time for you. Indeed. And uh, what would you say is the difference that um, Jesus is making in your life? I think the best word I probably use is probably giving me a resurrection in life. So I feel feeling down, 
not feeling like I had much of a purpose in my life. It's um, giving me that second chance, chance to like rise again. You know, start it. Yeah. Again, and look forward to life and. Okay, quite fantastic. And, and if you were to sort of say to someone else what's impressed you the most about Jesus and this journey, what would you say? All the sacrifices he made, not the blood, the sweat, yeah. the tears, you know, putting himself on that cross yeah. and, you know, laying his life down for my life. Yeah, that's fantastic. Can we just uh, <laughs> appreciate what you've done? Thanks, Andrew, so much. And, it, and it's out of that, that, that new song that we, that we have and uh, that we express something to God because the news really um, is, God, is good. So to, we sing, we sign to the Lord, uh, but all the earth, the invitation is for every single person. Okay? It's all the earth. It's, it's all of Birmingham. Okay? It's Moseley, it's King's Heath, it's Bourneville, it's Sturchley, it's Northfield. It's, it's the whole deaf community. It's the whole of Birmingham. It's for everyone that this invitation um, is too. And, uh, you know, let's, let's be people like Naomi who, who invite people uh, when we see that, that openness and that opportunity uh, to do so. Because even the words of songs on a Sunday are a testimony to people's lives as to God's goodness and God's greatness uh, and God's glory. And when it says uh, proclaim his salvation or proclaim his name, that's Old Testament speak for preach the gospel. You know, tell people about this hope. So that's the first, sing uh, or sign, because the news um, is good. The second we read of, of is in, in Psalm 96, verses 4 to 6, or in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 25 to 27. Um, it says, For great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. And so the command is to praise. And the reason is that God is great. In fact, the surrounding nations all had their own gods, they all had some sort of uh, religious following or, or, or something that they were doing, but there was, they were nothing in reality, is what it says. Verse 5, for all the gods of the nations are idols. And uh, the word translated idol means things that are nothing, things that are worthless, things that are weak. Um, Psalm 115 goes on and explains a little bit about, about what idols are like, and it unpacks them and talks about idols, you know, made by human hands, silver and gold. Um, and then it says this in verse 5, it says, they have mouths, but they can't speak. So they make these little idols, and they've got little mouths, but they can't say anything. They can't make covenants with the people. They can't give promises. They can't give guidance. They can't give encouragement to people. And yet we have a God who speaks to us. It says that they have eyes, but they cannot see. You know, they, they offer no protection to the followers, no oversight. And yet the Lord's eyes, our God's eyes are upon us. And uh, we can trust that he sees ahead um, as we walk with him. It says that they have ears, but cannot hear. No matter how much the idolaters pray, Okay, they can't hear them. We get that image in, on Mount Carmel with uh, Elijah and the, the, the worshippers of Baal and they're whipped up into a frenzy and hyped up trying to get their gods to answer and, they, and nothing happens. And yet Elijah prays a simple prayer and the true God comes through and answers him in the same way God hears our cries as we pray. He says that they have noses but cannot smell. A little strange, you might think. And yet our God receives our worship or our service or our giving as a fragrant offering, um, a pleasing aroma. Um, he senses that. 
They have hands but cannot feel. Again, the workers that made these idols literally um, had more power than the, the idols they'd created as human beings. You know, and we have a God whose fingerprints are all over creation, all over the universe, um, and even his arm uh, reaches out to bring hope and salvation to people, and often through his people. They have feet, but they cannot walk. Um, the people literally had to carry their idols around with them, and yet we have a God that walks with us and has actually literally walked on this planet in Jesus. And then it says that uh, whatever you know, we worship, we become like them. And that is true as we worship the living God, that actually we become like him. He transforms our senses uh, and how we can hear like him, see like him, speak like him and reach out like him. And when we don't worship him, then actually we become blind to his light and we become deaf to his voice. So we're to sing to him um, because the news is good and we're to praise him because he is great far above all the gods of the ancient world and all the false religions and all the gods of the 21st century, materialism, secularism, and all of these things that kind of come to muscle in on our affections for God. And then the, the next little section in verses 7 to 9 of Psalm 96, or verses 28 to 30 in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 7 says, Ascribe to him glory and strength. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And so the command is to worship him um, because he is worthy. Okay, He is worthy of our worship in the splendor of his holiness, it says. And I think often the word holy gets a bad press today. You know, we think of phrases like holier than thou, and we think of a kind of sanctimonious uh, kind of attitude, a holy jewel, um, just not something that we relate into. But the Bible's concept of holiness is way, way more inspiring than any of that. And I think the word splendor of his holiness gives us the clue. Splendor we get. There's something beautiful uh, about that. C.S. Lewis put it like this when he was writing about holiness. He said, when one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. It is irresistible. Um, holiness is a color-filled word. It's vividly shown in the life of Jesus. You know, when we, uh, when we look at Jesus' life on Alpha, we look at it in the Gospels in different ways, we begin to see that actually his holiness was incredibly attractive. His purity was attractive. Even to the sinners who you would think wouldn't want to see that. You know, we look at, you know, Matthew and Zacchaeus, the tax collectors. You know, we look at uh, Mary Magdalene who'd been possessed with several demons and all sorts of things. We have the down-to-earth fishermen um, the disciples who were not naive. None of these people were naive in understanding human nature. And yet they are drawn to the purity of Jesus and to the life of Jesus in an extraordinary way. We see it in, his, in the way that he produces fruit around him. Uh, John writes this, he says, he was full of truth and grace. Um, we have seen his glory. Okay, again, highly attractive the love that he, he expresses, the joy that he brings, the peace that he brings, the life that he gives, the compassion, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the forgiveness that he expresses. It's a life that inspires right living because of that fruitfulness. And it's a fruit that actually people in our world are hungry for. You know, it is compellingly beautiful when you see it. 
before you. And we see it in Jesus' total dedication. Again, holiness is, has that sense of being set apart, you know, for a, a specific use. And Jesus was so, totally set apart in his life for this sacred purpose of this sacrifice that Andrew uh, referred to. You know, always living to please the Father, even unto death. And we will be reflecting on that on Friday at our Good Friday service. We see it in Jesus' power. His holiness is most virulent when he encounters the forces of evil, the powers of darkness, who shudder at him and flee from him. Mark 1.24, have you come to destroy us? Says the evil spirit. I know who you are. You are the holy one, the holy one. Okay, it has virulent power, this holiness. Even the wind and the waves obey his voice. And so we worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness and ascribe to him glory and strength. And then the fourth kind of section, verse 11 in Psalm 96 or verse 31 in the passage that we read, is rejoice. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Uh, verse 13, they will sing before the Lord for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. And so the command is to rejoice. And the reason is the king is coming. Okay, the king is coming. Where it says the Lord reigns, it, it means the Lord has become king and he's coming back to reign as king. He's looking forward to that day when Jesus will sit on David's throne and rule the nations as uh, Luke writes in 132. A day when there'll be true justice on the whole of the earth. A day when he comes and he says, look, I will make all things new. I will put all things right. Paul writes about it in, uh, in the book of Romans, in uh, Romans 8 verse 19. He talks about creation itself, longing for that day when everything is put right. When it, even creation is liberated from its decay. It's freed from its frustration. It's healed from its pain. And it all happens on the day when the children of God are fully redeemed when Jesus returns. And so there will be joy in heaven and on earth. He says, even the seas, the fields, the trees, the forests, everything will be singing. Everything will be happy because things are put right. And I love the J.B. Phillips version. And we looked at this when we looked at celebration. His version of Romans 8, 19 says that creation is on tiptoe, awaiting and longing for that day when all things are put right. It's like a, a kid peering over a wall, seeing this amazing thing that's coming. And the whole of creation is on tiptoe waiting for the king to come back. And therefore, we rejoice. And even now he drops his grace and mercy upon us. So as we come to a conclusion this morning, let's live as people who live whole draw worship. Every part of our life, a reflection and a desire to honor God in it. We're to sing or we're to sign because the news is good. And each one of us has a new song to express. We're to praise the Lord our God for he is great and idols are empty and worthless. There may be things that we need to let go of in our lives. We need to worship him in the splendor of his holiness because he is worthy. He is irresistible. He is glorious. He is the holy one. Rejoice because he's coming back as king. And so surely we can't keep the news of this God to ourselves, but we're to celebrate and we're to pass it on. We're to proclaim his name among the nations.